In this show, we talk to Rachel Stocky, who has been cultivating a living laboratory for entrepreneurialism at King's College London. Together with her team, she's decoded the behaviors of the entrepreneurial mindset to bust the myth that you have to be born one and to apply it by harnessing some of the world's brightest young minds to solve its biggest problems. This is a great conversation. Hey friends, welcome to the Evolving Leader Podcast, the show born from the belief that John and I should always have a platform to address the world, so here we are. Actually, (laughs) it's born from the belief that we need deeper, better, and more committed and more human leadership to confront the world's biggest challenges. And I'm Scott Allender, co-host of the show, along with Mr. John Gomes. And John, how are you feeling today? I am feeling a mixture of things. Uh, I'm feeling very uh, fulfilled after a really interesting week of lots of exciting work and so on. And this sort of sense of general dis- disconcertion really from what's happening in, uh, in the US, what's happening with in Russia and so on. You just like the stakes keep on going up the whole time and the weirdness of it all, um, the kind of unprecedented nature of it seems to just sort of be there kind of as a constant background to everything. So I can't help but uh, acknowledge that. How are you feeling, Scott? I think weird's a good word. It's an underutilized word to describe what's going on, but I think uh, I think that captures it. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird time in the world. And I woke up uh, actually feeling kind of... Um, a bit tense, a bit stressed. Um, I did did manage to do a little bit of uh, mindfulness meditation, and I did my my Wim Hof breathing exercises, and I feel much better, much more centered, and uh, super excited to be joined by our guest today because I've been reading through a, a lot of her work and and just really excited to get into it. So let's do that uh, today. We are joined by Rachel Stocky, who is head of entrepreneurial skills at King's College London. Her mission is to unlock the limitless potential of people and their ideas. She works to demystify the world of entrepreneurship in order to spark the next generation of thought leaders, disruptors, and innovators who are ready to take on the big challenges we face globally. Outside King, she coaches entrepreneurs, as she puts it, to help them stay sane, make better decisions, build better companies, and look after themselves in the process. And I may not be an entrepreneur, but I can certainly benefit from that. So delighted you're here, Rachel. Welcome to The Evolving Leader. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Rachel, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? I'm good. I'm enjoying the cloudy but blue sky. The like light makes such a difference to my energy levels, so I'm soaking up we'll see how much is left of summer but i'm feeling good going into the bank holiday weekend how how did you become so passionate about entrepreneurialism my journey into it was quite a strange one actually so my professional background at that point had been in 
developing people, skill development. I used to work for the Scouts um, and took a lot of young people from the UK to big overseas international scouting events. But all of those experiences were really about developing them as people um, to gain a load of skills that would that would stay with them for the rest of their lives regardless of what they decided to go on and do and that was really what I connected with and then the opportunity to join King's Entrepreneurship Institute came up that was specifically looking for someone that wanted to champion this skills idea and I'd always been um, really interested in entrepreneurship but sort of followed various entrepreneurs podcasts and always really enjoyed looking at the kind of Uh, nuts and bolts of what went into building a successful business so it really appealed to me and then I was when I got the role I was given this challenge of help us codify what we mean by entrepreneurial skills so that we can teach that across the whole university and that was just the sort of challenge I could really get my teeth into Um, but what I learned to fall in love with even more was that the like entrepreneurial attitude of if I see a problem I believe that I have the power to try and fix it, not just for myself, but for other people. And I think it's a really empowering uh, dynamic to have um, and a real sense of uh, personal autonomy to be able to say, I have the skills, knowledge and experience to be able to affect change around me, whether you do that through a profit-making company or not. The, The essence of entrepreneurship to me is that people that want to have a positive impact on the problems that they see and care about around them and that combined with my background in like people development just really has come together over the last couple of years into something that um i feel incredibly passionate about yeah so you mentioned uh codifying entrepreneur skills which i want to dive into so let's talk about that and then maybe even in a broader sense king's entrepreneurship institute's sort of broader aims and activities is it is it primarily around the ability to kind of codify these skills what else is it is it aiming to achieve so the king's entrepreneurship institute has been around for eight years now um so they're still fair we're still fairly young um and we serve two primary aims for the whole university so that's all staff all students all alumni um, and some external audiences where we get the opportunity to participate in that as well and those are to one help people start businesses so we have accelerator programs and programs to help those people that have business ideas get started in and to get started and scale in the right way um, but the other part which is the bit that i'm primarily responsible for is to develop entrepreneurial skills And that means to understand, unpack and be able to teach the core elements of what it means to be entrepreneurial and to be able to give that skill set to the whole King's community for them to decide this is how I want to deploy that skill set. So we're not trying to turn everyone at King's into entrepreneurs. We have a fair few of them and they're really awesome. But for the other people who come to King's, you know, we have a huge amount of students studying medical subjects. Half of our faculties are related to health. Um, so students wanting to become doctors, nurses, dentists, a whole range of different things that we're not going to change their career trajectory. But my question to them that we ask them is, what would it mean to you to become an entrepreneurial version of the career that you have in mind? So what would it mean to be an entrepreneurial doctor or an entrepreneurial lawyer or uh, entrepreneurial leader in any general in any general sense? 
and it just changes the dynamic of the conversation that you're having with that person because you're not saying, forget the career trajectory that you had in mind. It's offering them tools in their toolkit to potentially do more with that career trajectory than they thought was possible. So people start giving us answers like, I would, it means I would be at the cutting edge of my field. I would be doing, innov I would be improving things. I would be solving problems. Um, and it really starts to engage that part of their brain around what, a, what change can I affect? So the way that we kind of do that in the codifying piece um, is that I created a framework. Uh, one of the first things I did at King's was to create a framework of nobody could name when I said, like, what, on, what are entrepreneurial skills or what does entrepreneurial mindset mean to you? People would speak in very general terms, but nobody could say it's these things. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> um, so that was my kind of first task of if we're going to teach these things, we need to be able to name them. Um, and when I kind of took on that challenge, I wanted it to make I wanted to make sure that we did it in a way that was accessible and relevant to the audience that we were serving and, uh, and to use language that people could take and use as their own. Um, so it wasn't going to be like super academic and the purpose of it wasn't to write journal articles. The point of it was for people to play with and to relate to and turn into their own um, and to develop against. So um, what came out of the other end of that was the seven skills of an entrepreneurial mindset, which is the framework that we still use today. We've evolved it somewhat as, the t as time has gone on. Um, but that's seven core skills that come from the world of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs have to use every day, but that everyone can learn and develop and then they can use them to have a bigger impact in whatever it is that they're doing. So can we, can we quickly run through what those seven skills are before we dig into them a little bit further? Yeah, so I've... I've I know them off by heart now that I've used <laughs> them for the last five years. Uh, so the first one is compel. So the ability to change hearts and minds, basically, to be able to bring other people on board with your vision and uh, to grow your own credibility and loyalty with the people that are around you. The second one is disrupt. So to be able to have innovative ideas and come up with creative problems to solutions and be the kind of person that is willing to challenge the status quo is the kind of the opposite to the person that says we're doing it this way because that's the way it's always been done. It's the complete opposite to that. The third one is Think Lean, which comes from the idea of the Lean Startup that was a book uh, written by Eric Ries. Um, that's the, the idea that to make real progress, your best chance is to employ a quick iterative process rather than trying to shoot for perfection the first time round. But it's also about being really uh, mindful with your resources, um, so not being wasteful um, around time, energy and money. The fourth one is validate, which is about rather than being driven by your own vision of what you think should be, you are driven by the evidence and what your customers um, are telling you that they need out of something and being driven by that. So it's being adaptable to the evidence that you're gathering and going out of your way to seek as much feedback as possible to aid that learning process. The fifth one is uh, commit to growth which is an interesting skill because it's one of the ones that we've changed the name of um, off the back of some research that we've been doing connected to the neuroscience of entrepreneurship. The, that skill used to be called Be Resilient, 
But resilience has this kind of connotation around you get knocked down and you just stand back up again. And you can do that as many times as you like. Whereas what happens in entrepreneurship is you get knocked down, you stand back up and you move forward because you've learned something. And we want to make sure that that's what's happening. You want to fail fast and be okay with the fact that failure is inevitable, but you're going to gain something out of it. You're going to gain new knowledge, new insights. You're going to know what ways you shouldn't do something as well as the ways that you should. And that entrepreneurs have this sense of uh, peace around that and actually uh, putting themselves in the way of big challenges because they want that learning, even if it's going to be hard. And then we're on to six. Uh, skill six is build teams, um, which is all around uh, teamwork is often mentioned in sort of leader leadership and skill frameworks. But specifically in an entrepreneurship context, I think it really brings forward the importance of diversity of thought and that to have true innovation, you really need a wide variety of perspectives on your team. So as a leader, you need to be able to cultivate a, cult a dynamic within that relationship where everyone is heard and everyone is valued and those diverse opinions are brought on, are taken on board. And that knowing that if you have diversity, you're also probably going to have conflict because people are going to have different point of views. So being a leader that's happy to deal with that and can deal with constructive conflict in a really effective way. And then our final skill is get it done. <laughs> Knowing that entrepreneurs are action focused because to start a business, you have to self-start. No one's going to force you to do it. You're not going to have external deadlines. You have to be very self-motivated, particularly in the early stages before you've got people like advisory boards and investors and things that hold you to account. But generally, you have to be able to make a plan, prioritize that plan, and get on with the actions that are going to make the biggest difference in the time that you have. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to wear a huge number of different hats. You are product, you are sales, you are CEO, you are all of these things in the early stages. So time management and uh, productivity is incredibly important. So get it done sort of nails that on the head of you just have to get the stuff done. Um, and entrepreneurs are incredibly good at being that kind of action force. Um, so that is our seven whistle stop tour of the seven skills there is uh i love that rachel there's so much in this um to pull apart so i've got a, a few questions one is you know i feel like when i was going through business school you know there was the school of entrepreneurship and it almost felt like people wore it as a badge of identity around like i'm an entrepreneur almost like i have the dna of an entrepreneur right like so do you have a high tolerance for a risk are you like willing to fail and all the things and then if you're more careful and studious you kind of study operations and do all that kind of stuff but the way you've sort of codified all of this it feels like it's all very learnable but that it would also take a certain mindset of a certain kind to step into it because there are inherent risks all over it and everything right so i i'm, I'm curious to know two things off the top is um, what is the sort of mindset you have to adopt to lean into building all these skills? Um, and then how sort of linear are building these skills or how much interplay do they all have as people go through this journey? So, yeah, interesting questions. So I think the, the point that you make around, they all sound very learnable is exactly what, I hope it sounds like and why we start specifically with skills because actually the mindset going into it you don't need to be a hundred percent bought into the whole idea of entrepreneurial mindset straight off the bat 
we you can come to a workshop about one of those skills that piques your interest as a starting point because the accessibility of the framework is one of the things that's made it so successful because you can come to a workshop that's all around how to overcome procrastination which is one of the topics we cover under get it done but and that can be very much in a student context of better study skills and and those sorts of things but it's a uh, a way for us to access the students who don't think entrepreneurship in any context is for them and actually just opens a door for a conversation. Um, and because I think the, the thing with skills is because it acts at that very uh, surface level bit, right? It's what we say, it's what we do. It's a something that we can grow and develop. We can teach you tools and techniques of how to develop all of these things. It has a deeper knock-on effect than most people realize so you don't have to be 100% bought in into it to begin with but if you start developing these skills and start uh, n realizing that you're actually all right at some of this stuff and that actually it's quite interesting and quite fun and you hadn't thought about it like that um, and there's a possibility that I could maybe be quite good at being entrepreneurial or more I'm more entrepreneurial than I'd thought actually that it starts to open up um, pathways into some of our more developed programs but also more importantly starts to change that person's sense of agency because that to me is like I said at the beginning what entrepreneurship is about it changes somebody's perception of I'm going to come to university and I'm going to study this subject and I'm going to get this job and then I'm going to have a career that goes xyz blah 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 blah, blah. you start to <laughs> intersect that and go what if rather than just going into a job you chose a problem that you really cared about and you worked on solving that problem and it shifts the, the conversation quite a lot. So I think there is the only, the only prerequisite to getting involved with a framework like this is just curiosity. Um, and from there, we sort of take the reins of like, oh, you've done that. Maybe you should do this next. Or um, once you've kind of captured someone's imagination, they start seeking more of it than themselves. So you're going to have to remind me of the second part of your question. You'll have to remind me. I can't remember. Oh, no. It was um, how sort of progressive are building these skills or, yeah. or when they approach, is it more of like a constant interplay of the, the sort of progression through building it? Um, it's not linear at all, <laughs> I would say, I as, figured, as, is, but, as is most personal yeah. development. Um, and a lot of the skills have linkages, right? So um, there's most of them you can connect in a number of different different ways so validate and think lean very much go hand in hand it's an iterative process where you are learning and validating your idea there's a connection there there's a connection between compel and build teams it's like what kind of leader are you to your team and how are you going to bring them on board with your vision there's a connection between uh, like disrupt and get it done in that everyone says I've had loads of great business ideas what have you done with them your ideas are worthless until you put them into action. So how do we combine those skills to create impact? So there's always um, linkages to be done. One of the interesting uh, exercises I've seen people do is ask, um, ask groups to create a concept map. So you'd say like, I want you to draw out for me on a big piece of paper, however you like, what you think entrepreneurial mindset is made up of. And they might say like having ideas and being able to pitch and you kind of see their kind of um, automatic thoughts at the beginning. And then once you've taken them through a load of this skill learning and uh, 
opportunity to develop their entrepreneurial mindset you then get them to make another map at the end and it becomes so much more elaborate and connected and you can see that their understanding of the concepts has really evolved and really grown and that they can see the nuance in it and that they're so much more bought into the what it can do for them as a person so it's quite an interesting uh exercise to do around mindset particularly because it's such a uh broad topic I love the, um, the the way in which you're describing this, and, and particularly the um, giving people the opportunity to kind of piece together the different components um, in a corporate setting. That's slightly more challenging um, because people are already rewarded and valued for doing the opposite of some of the things that these skills demand. Um, now I'm interested um, to understand, and this may not be, you know, uh, something you observe, but I'm interested if you see any of um, these skills being consistently more challenging for people than others. Yeah, I think um, some of them are closer to, to skills that you hear about in other contexts, right? The idea of being good in a team is often listed on job descriptions and a version of compelling like c communication skills in, in general. So you'll be, find people uh, get their heads around those easier. The ones that are more entrepreneurial in that you will likely not have heard of them if you're not within an entrepreneurship context, sometimes take a little more for people to get their head around. So the think lean and the validate is a very different way of operating than most people are used to. Um, especially, I think a lot of people struggle to lesser or more extents with perfectionism and think lean is like the opposite of that, right? It's, I want you to show your work to people as many people as possible before you think it's ready. <laughs> and people quite feel quite uncomfortable with that. There's a good saying, I think it was, um, uh, one of the founders of LinkedIn has this, I think it was him that said it originally, which is. You read Hoffman who says, like, if you're not ashamed of your first release, you did not release early enough. And like a lot of students who are coming to King's to study and, you know, they've got especially international students that might have come over with the, you know, hopes and ambitions of their family on their shoulders and that sort of thing. They really struggle with that kind of concept of you want me to, sh but it's not finished yet. It's, uh, it's not perfect. Um, and you're like, no, I want you to get it out now and I want you to move, move fast. Um, I think people feel the the dynamic shift with, with that a lot and it takes um a kind of commitment to going no okay I'm, I'm gonna do this and getting comfortable with receiving feedback and really honest feedback um i think you know it's hard it's hard you know people take things personally and you have to flex that and build that muscle of it's they're not critiquing me they're critiquing the work and i think that's one of the biggest uh, things that you see as people develop these skills more and more is the separation between critiquing me and critiquing my work and when they get you when they get good at placing a good amount of distance between those things they start to absolutely fly because they're like I want as much feedback as possible because I know it's going to make my thing so much better rather than seeing it as I me as a person I'm therefore a failure because I didn't do this thing right I think just just a worth pulling out for a second because that idea of I am my work is very tied up into the conventional corporate landscape where, you know, what I produce is me and my value is tied up in this. Whereas what you're talking about really is you have to separate that identity from the problem you're solving and the outputs that in the data you're gathering. That's not me. That's this. I'm making it happen. And I think that's a really interesting idea. 
And it's it's so poignant in entrepreneurship because you get so many people that refer to like my business is my baby and it's really emotional language because if you if you kill a baby that's quite bad. <laughs> so you have to change the way that you're viewing that towards I often say like if you can replace that imagery for me change it to either you're like nurturing a seed and you're making a plant grow or you're a scientist in a, and figuring out an experiment and it's a hypothesis and it's your job to figure out which configuration works because it takes the like such high emotional stakes down a notch or two and then we are able to have room to play and grow an experiment and try different things and be okay with not all of those experiments working yeah i think that's i know for me you know if i'm if i'm playing with something that feels like you know it's a it's a a product or an asset or a sort of learn anything that I'm doing in my work, I, I feel pretty good at distancing myself and, and opening myself up for critique. Now, as an author, when I've gotten my book critiqued, it feels, it hits different, right? It just hits you more in the soul. It does feel like you've birthed this thing. So beyond sort of sheer mental compartmentalization or willpower, is there something you know, an exercise or some kind of mindset work that you encourage people to do to be able to delineate and cre create that separation and know that this isn't actually me. This is a, a product at the end of the day. This is an idea at the end of the day. Yeah. One of the, one of the tools that we use with entrepreneurs and I use it in a, in a coaching context as well is an assumption matrix. So, uh, writing down all of the different assumptions that you're holding that would need to be true in order for your business or your idea to work. So uh, what's a practical example? If you think about Airbnb's founders in the early days, they would have had a set of assumptions around someone would be willing to let a stranger stay in their home. On the flip side of that, people will be willing to go and stay in other people's homes. Um, one of the assumptions that they had that turned out to be wrong was that people would be good enough at photography to take advert worthy photos of their homes to advertise their listings on the website um, and to be able to list all of those things and hold them as assumptions rather than fact even if you're pretty sure but you haven't got the evidence yet to say these are all things that I'm assuming to be true rather than I believe are true and then you can design experiments around them because you can say, how would I, how would I test that? How would I get evidence for that thing? Um, and it changes the, the way that you're thinking about it rather than thinking, I've got a vision in my head of the thing that I want to create and I'm not going to listen to anybody that tells me it should be something else. You start to play with the, the individual uh, ingredients of your idea that just gives you a bit of breathing space and it adds a little bit of play into the process, which I think is really important. And it just sort of, the intrigue and it brings back the curiosity of I wonder whether that's true or not how can I find out and it just shifts the dynamic ever so slightly to be less about your emotions and more about the learning process yeah I'm curious if you're seeing any generational differences in the approach to this work a bit I think you know I've been at King's for five years and I wouldn't necessarily describe it as generational but what I'm seeing as like a huge general trend is the kinds of problems that students care about and the things that they want to exist in the world um, 
And I think it also stems from a sort of disenchantment with the idea of a, like a linear corporate career. Um, you know, there's a huge amount at play there around uh, what the world is going to look like in, <laughs> in the next 10 years and, and so on. But I think the idea of entrepreneurship, I think the idea of what used to constitute a really safe career no longer really exists. So the risk that is usually associated with entrepreneurship is actually not that not as risky as it was once perceived because actually you can be more in control and I think the students like the idea of being in control of their own destiny so if I start my own company at least I'm deciding what I work on and I think that appeals to a lot of students but then you see uh, like sector trends right so we're seeing a lot of stuff around climate and sustainability um, and a lot of things around uh, s mental health social uh, uh, aspects of loneliness and uh, all those kinds of things and I think it will change between university to university because we get a lot of health related stuff because so so many of our courses are health related but you get a whole range of things and one of the things that I love about the Entrepreneurship Institute at King's is we are not sector specific whilst we have a lot of health and things come through we have uh, food and beverage companies sitting next to deep tech ventures sitting next to the new medical innovation and it has a real kind of diversity across it which in itself is a really interesting community to be a part of um but i would say yeah i think it's more of a motivation shift i guess of like why is the student interested in entrepreneurship and yeah what problems you can see what problems are in the kind of student consciousness around what what they care about and i think it's very like value-led problem solving which is a good thing to see yeah can we turn to the uh the, the women entrepreneurs network um why you set it up what's, what's it doing and i'm particularly interested in you know this observation that you've made about the relatively no low number of women entrepreneurs um, and the impact that has on our economy you've looked at that and you looked at the barriers so can we open that topic up sure so um Back before I joined, actually, the Entrepreneurship Institute had identified that they had a problem in their pipeline. They were noticing that whilst our wider community was at least 50% women, when it came to them applying to get onto the accelerator, the further they got through that process, the more the women seemed to drop away. And they, we didn't know why this was. They were getting a certain number were getting through to application stage and then less were getting through to interview and less were getting... Uh, places on the accelerator to the point where I think in that last year it was 25% women-led ventures versus 75% um, and we started to we had a uh, corporate sponsor on board who gave us some funding to set up our women entrepreneurs network to tackle this issue and our aim was we want gender parity on our accelerator but we made some fundamental choices at the beginning of that process to say we could just put in a quota done from day one and make sure that we hit that metric but we took a very different kind of angle on it and kind of started with the question what would it take for us to get to that outcome without having to put the quota in and designed a program with that in mind of we want community then we want skill building and then we want services that will help them make the key moves from idea to viable business proposition enough that they can succeed on their own merit 
because we're very much of the mind of if you it's nice to have a sandbox whilst you're at university to play with less risk involved but if we're really going to set these businesses up for success beyond our walls they need to be able to compete on their own metrics and we won't be doing them any favors if we're not setting that as a precedent from the start um and so we launched the network in january 2019 and Every year since then, we have hit a minimum of gender parity, women-led ventures on our accelerator. I keep saying it and no one's uh, said it's not true. I think we're the only university accelerator to have done that um, so consistently for the last four, four cohorts of our accelerator. Um, and that, you know, we hold ourselves to high standards in that as well. That's not, there's a co-founding team of four people and one of them is a woman. It has to be 50% or more of the, of the leadership team are women um so it's a challenge that we set ourselves because even outside of our walls when you look at the wider entrepreneurial ecosystem gender parity is just no nowhere in sight less than two percent of venture capital funding goes to women-led ventures and it's a fraction of that two percent when you talk about women of color um and i think you know the problem here for me at the crux of it is if you're only supporting a certain type of entrepreneur, only certain problems are being solved. And our world is continually being designed by a subsect of our population who are treated as if they represent everybody. Whereas we need a system that supports everybody to come forward with their ideas, to get the funding they need to scale those ideas and solutions, to be able to solve the problems that everyone needs solving, not just a specific proportion needs solving. And within that, there is huge economic benefit and huge potential return to be had. Um, but we're just somehow still putting barriers in those people's way. Um, and women are, for some, for some uh, bizarre reason, still treated as if we're a minority when we're half of the population. Um, so it's a, an area that I feel particularly passionate about, as you might be able to tell. <laughs> can, can we just just give us a sense of some of the the barriers that you've identified that that get in the way, really? That you're overcoming. So, if you start right at the at the beginning, there's a pipeline issue, right? The way that girls and boys are socialised and educated leads them towards different career paths, um, and it's why you know, movements such as getting more girls into STEM subjects is really important because STEM really lends itself to that kind of high-end innovation, um, or just giving them the, the choice and the option to say, actually, entrepreneurship might be an avenue for me. It's Entrepreneurship is so rarely included in careers guidance in schools. It's what job do you want to do, not what problem would you want to solve? And we need to introduce that into the conversation as early as possible. Um, and then once you move along the chain, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, you've still got such a massive disparity about the amount of unpaid labour that women are still doing. The majority of the domestic work and the childcare, which limits their ability to get into entrepreneurship because they are holding down a lot of the other responsibilities, whilst usually the male counterpart is the one off being able to take risks and try new things and concentrate on career over home life. Not for everyone, but broad uh, observations that we can see in the data. And then even for those who do try to start up, you then get into the barriers that exist within that system. So you've got largely investors 
are majority men who have majority male networks that are hard to access and to get, especially if we're talking about venture capital funding, you usually need warm introductions to really be successful in that world. Um, and if you're not in those same networks, it's harder to access. So, uh, and then you get into things like unconscious bias. We know that when women do get into pitch to VCs, that they're asked different types of questions to their male counterpart. Men tend to be asked questions around opportunity. How big could this be? What could we scale this to? And women are asked risk mitigating questions. How are you going to make sure that uh, this works? And how and uh, how are you going to mitigate against the potential threats and uh, things? So they're put into very different boxes when they're assessed as well and all of these things compound so that we end up with these horrible statistics about the, the amount of funding that's going but I think the other thing for me is whilst at that big macro scale those statistics are quite harsh the other question for me is there's, there's quite a significant hierarchy that happens in the language around entrepreneurship that you have startup founders who go for venture capital funding at the sort of top of the tree and then you end up talking about freelancers or so or so or um kind of sole traders as somewhere in the entrepreneurship world but they're just worlds apart um and in the way that they're kind of seen and then you've got all of the all of the bit in the middle the majority of entrepreneurs in the uk are running smes and they drive our economy and i think part of the attitude that needs to shift is stop putting startups that get for venture capital funding on such a pedestal and welcome all types of entrepreneurship and have an ecosystem that will develop all kinds of entrepreneurship because a woman like anyone might say I don't want to go for venture capital funding that's not the kind of business that I want to run but I do want to create a business that makes a profit hires people grows at a steady rate um, and you have to be allowed to be whatever kind of entrepreneur you want to be and what works for you, but you need types of funding that support those different choices and a world that doesn't pit one against the other. This is so hugely important, and I know our listeners are going to care about this. So how can, how can someone listen right now get involved with your network and get involved with helping to see some of this change happen, some of these shifts occur? What can we do? So it, it depends what role you have. If you're, uh, if you're interested in the work of the Entrepreneurship Institute, we publish across a load of uh, platforms. LinkedIn is a great place to find us and you'll see some of the work that we're doing. Um, I think for entrepreneurs themselves, I would say, do you <laughs> figure out what version of that works for you and keep doing it. Um, and find a network of entrepreneurs that you connect with. There is nothing, entrepreneurship can be quite lonely. Find a network of entrepreneurs that understand you and that you can bounce ideas off of. For those that are in positions of supporting entrepreneurs, so other universities who have enterprise teams, accelerators, etc., do do your reading and figure out where and look at your data. I think the first thing for us was identifying where our drop off was. We could never have started if we didn't know that. And I think not enough people are looking at the facts and saying, oh, yeah, we have women entrepreneurs, so we're fine. But do you? Where are they coming from? Are they having challenges? Talk to them and ask them what they need. And um, whilst I think mentorship is a great thing, and in some contexts can be great, I think um, 
there's too much emphasis sometimes placed around women entrepreneurs, specifically on mentorship, as if it's going to cure everything, when really a lot of what women need is access to funding to grow their business. Um, so putting the emphasis on the right place. And if you're an investor, make sure, like have a look at your network and just do a count. How many women entrepreneurs of the entrepreneurs that are in your network, how many of them are women? And when you're inviting leads into your network, how are you doing that? I'm having, having an interesting conversation at the moment of somebody alerted me to a, to a WhatsApp group that exists that's a um, social network for founders to meet investors, but over the, over the uh, joint interest in football. And I, had to ha I was having an interesting dialogue with one of the people that helps run this group around how many women are in that group out of curiosity? And he said, a few, but not many. And I went on a tiny rant about how maybe groups like that were perpetuating a systemic issue that disadvantages women entrepreneurs because you've combined a hobby that is male dominated with the possibility of access to funding. Um, and I think that sort of stuff happens all the time, not through bad intention. They didn't realize, but you have to have that kind of peripheral vision on who is this going to disadvantage? Not just that you're creating a solution for something that you want to solve, but something it's like a, a term that's called value deconstruction, right? You might be solving one problem, but you might be causing a wider issue. And I think that happens a lot around women's entrepreneurship, that things are put in place that actually further create that gap, um, as with so many things. And I think depending on what part of the ecosystem you're in, awareness is where it starts. And then asking the question to the women, what can I do? And I think it's that difference between being an ally and being a sponsor. An ally is kind of I'm saying the right things and I'll, you know, I'll tick the right boxes. Sponsorship is putting your neck on the line and saying, I will give you that introduction. I will put my neck, I will use my reputation to boost yours and, and use my platform for you. And whatever it is, the resources that I have, I will extend to you where I can. And I think there's a more of that needs to happen uh, in order to start causing a, a wider shift. So I, just to expand this a little bit, um, in getting to know you a bit and the work that the Institute's doing, it's an incredible opportunity for corporate sponsors to get involved and there's a tremendous amount of um, value exchanges that can be developed there. Can you talk a little bit about the work you've done with corporate sponsors and the opportunity for others to get involved in, in uh, you know, and, and, you know what, what they can gain from it? Yeah, I think um, we're always open to working with, with partners um, because it enables us to do, to do more, right? And I think we have uh, opportunities. For us, our limit is our capacity as a team, right? We're still a small team, but we pack a big punch. Um, but with extra support, it means that we can put on new programs. So, for instance, um, one of our sponsors... Uh, that has aided the Women Entrepreneurs Network has also supported us to be able to create a new program for students from low income backgrounds that works a bit like an internship rather than being paid to go and work in someone else's company. They've been paid over the summer to develop their own business idea for students that would usually have to work to pay their bills over the summer. They're given the opportunity to enter entrepreneurship on a level footing. And it's those sorts of things that we could never do if we didn't have the backing of those kinds of companies. Um, and I think there's massive room for expansion. You know, we've got such big visions on where we want to take the Women Entrepreneurship Network. And we've had uh, research projects connected to our department. I mentioned neuroscience of entrepreneurship. 
it's really cutting edge research um, and it helps us make our programs better. You know, it helped us update the seven skills to make sure that we were talking about that in a way that was really research backed. And, you know, we want to make sure that partners get insight from that too. And we're always open to conversations about what it is about working with us that interests people and it can be a reciprocal conversation. Um, but I think it's for us finding uh, partners who are value aligned um, and are looking to achieve the same kind of things that we can help each other to do that. Um, but ultimately, it's an opportunity to. For, for me, the, the most exciting space is reducing barriers to access to entrepreneurship and what we can do in that space and what innovation will come out when you've got more diverse entrepreneurs solving different kinds of problems and an exciting space to see what comes out of that. Hi, this is Emma Sinclair, business psychologist, occasional co-host and fan of the Evolving Leader podcast. There are now over 100 episodes with an incredible list of guests encompassing a broad range of disciplines, all handpicked by us to help you, our audience, understand and overcome your greatest leadership challenges. We have so much more to come. So wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe, share, rate and review. Now, let's get back to the conversation. I'd like to to come back to a part of your bio that I read uh, in the intro that stood out to me that feels like a right time to talk about it, which is uh, the work you do in helping to support people's well-being and sanity through all of this. So what have you learned and, and what do you do in that space? Yeah, so if I remove my king's hat for a second, <laughs> take it off and put it to one side. Outside of that, uh, I founded a company called The Disruptive Realm, which is largely a training and coaching company. Um, so I go into accelerators and work with individual entrepreneurs to support the human side of entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship can be incredibly hard, incredibly stressful. It can uh, require long hours or unsociable working hours, and it can take a toll on the people that are doing it. Um, hopefully, most of the time, it's worth <laughs> that payoff. Um, but it's hard. And I think... Um, Research is starting to show, as well as my anecdotal experience, that founder well-being is a real indicator of future success. The most important asset that any business has is its founder. Without that, you know, who's driving the company forward, who has the vision, who has the knowledge. So you want to make sure that your most important asset doesn't burn out <laughs> and has the ingredients to make sure that the way that they're working can maintain peak performance over the long term. And that for me is where the coaching side comes in, is being able to give a founder headspace to work on the business rather than in the business, to have that sounding board of somebody that can challenge their thinking in a different way, but to be able to also support them to look at themselves as a founder if you were to continue to continue working on the trajectory that you currently are what happens to you as a human in a year's time is that good is that bad shall we do an assessment and think about do we need to course correct because if you're only sleeping four hours a night that's going to compound on what's going to happen um from every from every aspect and that looks different to different founders right some founders are like i love my work and i enjoy it and i can work 
10 hours a day and feel perfectly fine. Uh, like, what does that look like for different people? And it can ebb and flow. But having the coaching space to work through that is a very uh, non-leading. It's not saying you need to follow this plan. It's a let's have a conversation about what your individual ingredients need to be for your version of peak performance. And I think that's really important. And I think more accelerators and more people that are supporting entrepreneurs are waking up to the fact that that's it's not a wasted resource. It's an investment in their um in their portfolios to make sure that their founders are able to see it through in the in the long t in the long term um, and makes the journey more enjoyable <laughs> as, as well um, so yeah I think it's really important work and as I say there's more research coming out about it around the importance of founder well-being and what that looks like um, so hopefully more accelerators and more more VCs are starting to, to, to look into it as well to make sure that they're not just giving money and stepping back, that they're giving money, but they're also giving support and space and, and um, a whole ecosystem that supports the development of the business and the people. Are you seeing any differences in the well-being challenges and needs of men and women? I think there's, there's general broad um, sweeping statements that I can make. Obviously, everyone's different on an individual level, but I think... Um, Women are, are usually more used to talking about well-being than men generally. I think it's um, a harder step into that conversation for men sometimes. Um, but I think that's why it also helps on on two levels. I do do two different types of coaching. One is one-to-one -one, and one is like facilitating peer group coaching um, where they're in a group of entrepreneurs. And I think that really helps because it's not they see that the challenges they're facing whilst the sectors can be different and they're at different stages of the business that most entrepreneurs also struggle with the same types of things and that i think allows just a sort of you see you see this kind of like exhale <laughs> from entrepreneurs when they're like oh that's me too like i thought it was just me and having that space to be able to to recognize and feel seen and heard and understood is really important so i like working with groups of entrepreneurs together but on the individual level as well i think um knowing that there's no they're not going to be prescribed a formula to follow they get to decide that for themselves and you know i'm as a coach it's not my job to advise them it's my job to challenge their thinking and to open up the right type of space and conversation for them to figure that out for themselves a key key part of coaching is your client is Resourceful, creative, and whole. They have everything they need. You're not there to give them the answers. You're there to guide their thinking so that they unlock those answers for themselves. And that, I think, is a really powerful tool for entrepreneurship because not everybody wants to work the same way. So being able to figure that out for themselves of what works for me. If you want to be a night owl and your most productive time of day is at night, crack on like I'm not here to tell you that that's wrong um I just want to make sure that the result of whatever ingredients you've decided on gives you the outcome that you want which is happy productive healthy blossoming business if we're there then I'm cool that we experiment with all the other stuff that comes before it so can we just bring to life go back to the institute for a moment bring to life some of the stories of the what the students have accomplished in with their their work and their startups some of the successes that, that have been exciting for you? Yeah, we've got a huge range. Um, I, what are the ones I would pick out? So one of, one of the ones that I worked on, so there's a, 
There was a student at King's who came to the launch of the Women Entrepreneurship Network back in January 2019. She introduced herself to me um, uh, and said, I've not got my big idea yet, but I know I want to be an entrepreneur. And when I find it, I will come back and talk to you. And in November of that year, she came back and said, I've got it. I know what I'm doing. Fast forward to August this year. She is the youngest black solo female founder to have ever raised over a million pounds in the UK. Her company is called Sojo and they are like a delivery for clothing alterations. So she is fueling the secondhand clothing market by making it easier to change whatever you need to be changed about those clothes to make them fit you. What she, what her original idea was, was very much B2C. Somebody would order their alteration through an app, get it picked up from their house, taken away, altered and brought back to them. That is absolutely happening. That app is up and running. But what I don't think she realized was she, she took on board so much of our early advice around really going through that assumptions process, validating all of the different elements of what needed to happen for this to work, that by the time she launched, she already had brands approaching her saying, we want you to do this for us on a B2B scale. And now that's thoroughly driving forward. She's got a partnership with Ganny and a load of other uh, brands in the pipeline and is absolutely flying, right? Um, and to see her smash, like she's one of those people where you met that you like, you're, you're going to do great. You just need the steps put in front of you and, and you'll get there. Um, so it's great to see her. She's actually coming back to Kings in September. So there's always a campaign in September called Secondhand September around sustainability in, in, and buying secondhand rather than buying new. And she's going into a lot of offices across the country so that their employees can, let, can use the service for the same time by taking the clothes to work rather than having to do it themselves. And she's coming and we're hosting a stop for her at Kings so that Kings uh, staff can, can use Sojo for the first time. So that's going to be great to have her back in the, back in the space. On the other side of things, we look at, like I say, King's is a massive health hub. We have um, a variety of health uh, innovation going on. Uh, we've had a, quite a few around uh, cancer diagnosis tools using AI to, to speed up the cancer diagnosis process. Um, we've got a company who's doing really well, who's come through our idea factory and our King's 20 accelerator to do with male fertility uh, and at home for, uh, male fertility testing, which is a space that's been massively neglected. Um, so yeah, we've got a huge number of, I could go on all day about the different ones, but hopefully there's a couple of kind of highlights in there for you. So Rachel, what's next for you? Oof, what's next for me? So we are uh, on the skills side of things at King's, we're finding opportunities to embed entrepreneurial skills into different elements of the curriculum. I'm really interested in doing that uh, in areas of Kings where entrepreneurship wouldn't be a student's automatic thought. So arts and humanities or um, getting into like the biomedical engineering and, impl and implanting entrepreneurship into their curriculum so that they get a flavor of it without having to seek us out so that we can really scale up our impact across the university. We're also starting to work far more with King's academics. So obviously, at a place like King's, there is a huge amount of cutting edge research going on. Not all of that is always translated into commercial propositions in the way that it could be. So the ER, the Entrepreneurship Institute is getting its hands dirty a bit more with 
uh, training academics in entrepreneurial skills and entrepreneurial way of thinking so that if they have uh, research that could become commercializable, could form a spin-out company or could get licensed as technology, that they have the skills and the support to be able to do that, which is really exciting. And then outside of uh, the King's world, I've been obviously doing coaching with more more and more ventures and more and more founders, which is awesome. Hopefully more and more founders will seek out that kind of support as well when they're struggling. I really urge anyone to have the kind of uh, support that they need to be able to make sure that they're carrying on. Um, but for me, I have a lot of people ask me uh, outside of Kings, is there a way that I can access this kind of stuff? It sounds really interesting. Um, so I've started doing that with my company. I now have um, what will become a training course eventually in entrepreneurial mindset that people outside of Kings can take. But at the moment, there's a sort of short diagnostic tool now available on my website that will give you a self-assessment to go through um, to answer a load of questions around how entrepreneurial your current thinking is. And it will give you a bit of a score and a bit of an insight into your current way of thinking, um, which is a good way, <laughs> uh, which is which is a good starting point because it's kind of a, a good self-reflection point of view um, and will lead into, like I say, there's there's more coming uh, that will be courses that will be available free, like online for anyone that is interested to become more entrepreneurial. Because uh, I'm trying to, as you can tell, spread the message far and wide. Entrepreneurial skills equals big impact. So if you're a person who wants to have big impact, learning these kinds of skills is a good way to go. Yeah, well, we know a lot of our listeners are absolutely interested in creating um, impact at scale. And uh, so we will put... Uh, links to your diagnostic and to the seven uh, skills in the show notes. Um, being steeped, you know, surrounded by all of these entrepreneurs, have you ever thought about, you know, I've got an idea, <laughs> I've got a problem I want to solve. Do you ever, do you ever get the, the, the urge to create your own startup? Uh, absolutely. I've had, a, I've had a few and a few things that I've like tinkered with doing some validation in the background just to kind of test, test the waters. Um, I think for me, like I was saying, like entrepreneurship comes in different shapes and sizes. And for me, the the business that I run that's like training and coaching is where I want to be right now. I have so many ideas of the way that that could scale into something that's huge and would require <laughs> me to go and get funding and do and do that, go that route. Um, so I think uh, I think I will always be dabbling in something entrepreneurial. The shape and size of that thing, I think, will evolve over time. But I think once you've got the bug and you realize, oh, I don't, I don't need anyone else's permission to just start something. I think once you've realized that, you can never take it back. It's sort of a glass shatter moment. And the people that kind of feel that are, I don't think I know any entrepreneur who has even like sold a massive and had a massively successful exit or had a horrific failure for that matter, go, I'm never doing that again. They always, their reaction always seems to be, what's next? What's the next, what's the new thing? I've already got 10 other ideas and I'm excited to get started. It's, it is a bit, it's a bit infectious. Um, well, John's got a big pile of cash and he's looking to invest it. So you hit him <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Thanks for that, Scott. <laughs> uh, Scott's lending it to me. That big pile of cash. <laughs> Well, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. I really do feel inspired. I, I loved our conversation. So thank you for sharing your, your wisdom and insights with us. And for our listeners, remember, the world is evolving. Are you? 